Thank you for listening to the FCS Podcast with your hosts, Joe DeLeon and Sean Anderson. Here on the Believe Podcast Network, do you believe? football podcast here on the believe podcast network do you believe it is your go-to source for in-depth fcs analysis giving you the perspective of two current players unlike any other level of analysis you can get on fcs football i am joe DeLeon, as always joined by my wonderful partner in crime the sean anderson and training camp is slowly sneaking up on us as it starts towards the end of this week on Thursday, but Sean was able to sneak in a little bit of a, an adventure this past week. You want to tell us about that, Sean? I'd call it more of an excursion okay. into the belly of the beast, which is the CAA. Okay, so you, Sean, you made the trip to yeah. CAA <laughs> Media Day, which we teased a little bit last episode. Sorry. Um, yeah. And we're going to give some snippets of it in a second. But, Sean, what were your takeaways from getting to, to go to CA Media Day, get to talk to the players, not just your own coach and, and our own teammates, but talking to a bunch of guys in the conference? The players were all really friendly. The coaches were surprisingly friendly, um, given the interactions that I guess we see. They're always viewed as opponents, so there's not that broken down wall where you see them as just people answering questions that they want to answer uh that you have to ask so it was kind of it was nice to see that there wasn't any guards up everybody was welcoming to the media it was really good relationship um came out with some good uh new uh, resources as it were uh did some nice networking i believe uh for our show okay just um Really, really good. It was a really good day. I was happy with it. I mean, I think some of the interviews were effective. I think whoever I, I, I was, I mean, my interviews were the only ones that had laughs. So, I mean, I, like I had a big, there was a big pop when I was interviewing uh, Signetti at JMU because okay. um, it was revealed that he didn't know how to do a certain task that that you'd think grown <laughs> men would be able to do. And then the whole table started laughing and then everybody in the room looked, um, which doesn't really happen on media day. I'd say it's normally the quiet laughs, but I was happy to get the big pop. And then people were asking me what was the big pop. I'd tell them they'd be like, oh, that's pretty funny. And then I'm like, yeah, well, I guess I'm the funniest one in the room then. It it seems like not every (laughs) football player. Yeah, no, very humble of you. It seems like not every football player or collegiate athlete um, are really that they're not always comfortable in having those conversations with people in the media. Right. It's good that you're able to break that, that barrier down and, and make it a little bit more of a casual conversation. We're going to end up hearing that soundbite, I assume. Um, but so do you, would you say that was probably the best moment that you had there was getting that laugh out of the, the JMU guys? That was, that was pretty good. Um, my time when I was talking with the William Mary players, actually um, we had discussed, I mean, this is like, I had the, my uh, recorder rolling and everything, but we were just having a conversation with it. It wasn't like the standard questions that I was given out. We were just talking about the, um, the Nor'easter game last year. 
okay and how it just worked out and they had like the same thoughts that we did where it was just a really cool experience uh at the same time where it was really terrible given the weather but it was just we we shared the same sentiments about how you know we were we were all yelling at each other before the game but nobody was really angry or fighting we were just had a weird excitement um that was a really cool moment um my interview with you UN, the UNH coach Sean McDonald he was really great i mean he was awesome um it was just a lot of good moments Shane Donaldson uh was spectacular the entire day. Did I you mean, get the interview, uh, Shane, the sports information director? I didn't URI? interview Shane. Shane okay. wouldn't have taken the interview with me, but okay. he just helped me along the way because this is my first time working the room. He helped me out. He introduced me to people. Uh, I introduced myself along with you. To oh, people. thank you. Yes. As thank I always you. do, I stick my neck out for the guy <laughs> who isn't always there. <laughs> Oh, you, you act like I could have easily made that trip to Baltimore. If I was on the East Coast, I would have came in a heartbeat. I would have 100% came, but I was not present on the East Coast at the time. Uh, appreciate you going out and, and representing us as a group. Did, uh, did anyone know of us before you brought up what your purpose was and, and why you were there? A few people did. Really? They, they were like, who, who oh, yeah, particular? they said, uh, I can't remember. They okay. said um, stuff like uh, they saw the Craig Haley article. Um, they've seen us mentioned on Twitter and stuff like that. It, it, that's that's mostly what it's been. I, Craig Haley's given us a run in real life. I was shocked. Like Shane introduced me to um, this one uh, other reporter with um, the CAA. Or I don't know if she's a reporter, but she's like a secondary media director. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know who you are. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't know who I am. And then she's like, <laughs> she's like uh, yeah, no, we do. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there like, okay, this is, this is kind of out of my element where someone actually knows who I am from a media <laughs> standpoint. It, it, was, yeah, I don't, it, it took me back for a second like that. It was Someone actually recognized you, although it's not very hard to, to find you in a room uh, considering how big you are. Um, not very hard to spot. Well, overall, it sounded like you had a good experience and we're going to take a listen now to the best moments from Sean's day at media day, including some interesting and fun questions that he was asking and getting some great responses for. Uh, this is Sean Anderson with the believe podcast network here covering the CAA football at CAA media day. Right now, I am joined by Richmond Spiders players Maurice Jackson and Daniel Jones. Uh, what are your thoughts to the national stigma regarding FCS football compared to FBS football? Um, well, I think it really starts off with just how you grow up watching college football. You know, there not, might not be as many FCS games televised, so you always end up seeing the Alabamas and the Miamis. So that's where you want to go, which is just like me as a kid. I wanted to go to Miami. but. Um, being at this level now, I see that the competition is just as good, you know, and, um, especially in modern day NFL eras, you know, if you can play, you can play. I am joined by new JMU Dukes coach, Kurt Signetti. Uh, it's quality football. we got a lot of guys at this level that can play, a lot of guys in the NFL. We have a playoff system, which I think is a real plus. Uh, you know, 
that's much superior to the FBS playoff system. Uh, we are now have the ultimate privilege to talk with the CAA commissioner himself, Joe D'Antonio. You know, one of the things I talked about when I got the job four years ago is, and I use this exact line, America loves football. They love every level of football. And we are incredibly fortunate in our conference to be playing football at such a high level. Currently, I am being joined by Richmond Spiders coach, Russ Huseman. It kind of drives me nuts sometimes with the Kirk Herbstraits of the world. Uh, that's kind of looked down on it, you know, get mad when Alabama, we played, when I was at Chattanooga, we played Alabama three times, and every time we played them, Kirk Herbstreit would say, why are they playing Chattanooga? Well, you know, it's, it's, that hurts us, you know, instead of saying that's good quality football, the, the, the CAA can line up in the MAC conference and play and compete and win. I, I guarantee, you know, a lot of these places aren't really interested in the MAC or Sunbelt in playing a CAA football team. How many players on your team do you believe can effectively change a car tire? Well, I know it's a comfort old lineman that may be, you know, not as good as the classroom, but they can definitely change the car tire. <laughs> but, you know, it's a couple guys I can think of off the top of my head, at least five. At least five, I can think. Can you change a car tire? I absolutely cannot change a car tire. <laughs> so, yeah, that would not be me. You're looking at the wrong guy. And uh, Daniel Jones, how many players on your team do you have faith in that can change a car tire? See, we got some, we got a lot of, we have a diverse team. We have a lot of country boys too, so I think a good amount can change a car tire. I think at least, like you said, five, five to ten. Joined me now is Mac Patrick, offensive lineman. Correct. Yeah, yeah, for uh, the JMU Dukes. Um, honestly, maybe the quarterbacks. Uh, I don't know. Uh, a lot of offensive linemen, I think, past that. I don't know if a lot of them could even pick up a tire, let alone change one. Um, yeah, there's not a, out of 22, we'll go with a quarter of that. Now, can you yourself, Mac Patrick, change a car tire? Yes, I can. Without a doubt, I can change a car tire. Okay, good. Right now, I'm lucky enough to be able to squeeze in an interview with University of New Hampshire coach Sean McDonald. <laughs> Two. Two. Effectively changing. What's effective? Does it mean he's going to stay on it for three days? I don't know about that. But let me tell you, I know what they can effectively do. They can dial a... Um, Triple A. Triple A. You get that? Well, they can call some of their friends, their mother and father. And how do I know that? My son was a high school, was a college senior about three years ago, and had no idea, no idea. So, and, and we're pretty handy around the McDonald household. So, we got two guys. I'm pretty happy about that. So, so, I, I almost don't even need to ask this, but you do know how to change a car tire yourself. I've changed a couple. Yes. Okay. Awesome. A car tire? Yes. Probably a lot more than their coach can. This is, uh, this is kind of unprecedented uh, breaking news here. So, Coach, this follow-up question that I've been asking, can you personally change a car tire? I think I just answered that. <laughs> so, it's a two-parter, and I'm going to do it a little different for you. How many coaches in the CAA do you believe can effectively change a car tire? How many coaches do I believe can effectively change? All of them. Twelve. All of them? Yeah. All right, what, what if I tell you that... What if I tell you that you're wrong there? 
would believe you. Would you, would you have a guess as to which coach could not change the car tire? No, I think because I think they all could. Now it's a special interview at the 2019 CAA Media Day. I am joined by University of Rhode Island Rams head coach Jim Fleming. Oh my gosh. Well, I know A.J. Baxter could because he's a, he's a wrench head, you know? Um, I would think if I was guessing they could effectively change the tire, I think we'd probably be talking less than 15. Less than 15? Not the worst score, not the highest that we've gotten so far. Uh, and can you personally change a car tire? Absolutely, and I do it fast, and I do it with great pride. And sometimes I think I missed my mark because I should have been in Indy or I should have been in NASCAR <laughs> flipping those things. How many do you think could change the tire on our squad? Honestly, I think 20, say it's eight, I think it's roughly 80. I think it's, it's 20 players on the team know how to change the tire. And I'm now joined by Villanova coach Mark Ferrante. And uh, final question, I'm wrapping this up early because I am very hungry. Um, I'm hoping that one could do it on his own. Okay. Um, I know we probably have some that couldn't, so I don't know how many could effectively change, how many of our roster of 92 could effectively change the time. I'd like to think all 92 could do it. I am joined by two University of Rhode Island football players, one being wide receiver Aaron Parker and the second being offensive lineman Kyle Murphy. I just want to say, Sean Anderson, you helped me change the tire and it took us two and a half hours to change the tire. So I don't think you can effectively change the tire. Whatever Rube had stuck that tire on the um, on the standard holder where you had to fully kick that thing off as hard as you could is a rube. So I did change the tire. No, 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 no. I had changed the tire. I had jacked up the car. I had gotten it all ready. I had unscrewed all the bolts. And you get it off, you can't get the tire off. And now Kyle Murphy has to kick it with a size 17 shoe, uh, which is, I think, the biggest in the room by far. And, um, and he has to get the tire off. So that was great getting to listen to what Sean was able to do. Um, overall, it seems like the, the the tire question was a bit of a hit for you, right? It was a big hit. I think everybody's always got their, you know, how I say, they're always trying to keep it really professional. They want to sound uh, well-spoken. They want to come off as professionals and as coaches that, that, that know what they're talking about. They 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 have the the media guard up where they you know you don't really say exactly what you're thinking but you give enough for the media to be able to use you know how it is it's not a full there's a little defense up where you know what you could say i mean we we hear it a lot in, in post game interviews it sounds like mm -hmm. people everybody's saying the same stuff but with the car tire question it kind of let them be honest and, and cut loose a little and just have fun answering just a, a, a goofy question, you know? Well, hopefully that was one of the more uh, rewarding parts of the, the trip that you made to CAA Media Day, but that is going to be enough for us talking about that, uh, despite it being um, a great experience for you. On to the next thing, though, we do have a little bit of news to cover before we go into our major chunk of the episode, which is discussing the top defensive linemen in FCS football. 
the two pieces of news we have in the first one is a continuing story that we've discussed over multiple episodes, and that is UConn finally making a decision where they are going to leave the American um, Athletic Conference for football, have to pay an exit fee, and they're just choosing to become an independent rather than join a different conference or to drop down to the FCS level. Do you think this is a, a smart decision for UConn to uh, become an, an independent team? I I wanted to not like it, but if you're kind of in that purgatory, I don't hate it. I really don't. I mean, if it's not a bad decision for them. I don't know all the business aspects that come with being independent. I don't know how hard it is to schedule games. I'm not fully up to uh, – up to snuff there. Ah, there we go, Sean. That's the word you're looking for about what, <laughs> you know, what actually went into it. I don't mind that they're doing it. I mind that Notre Dame does it because. Oh, okay. That's two completely different reasons. Exactly. No, Notre Dame is an independent because the amount of revenue that they gain each season from ticket sales, merchandising, you name it because of their brand that has lasted over a hundred years is so much more significant than if they joined a conference, they'd have to share most of the revenue. They would be the top revenue gainer for whatever conference they joined, unless it was somehow the SEC, which probably wouldn't happen because of location, but they would be have to share so much money that they're making. It would just, it would, it wouldn't make any sense. That's the main reason why they're an independent. But the one thing that I've noticed is that these New England schools, these Northeastern schools really struggle to find a place since the Big East left when UConn was actually a decent program. Um, we've seen UMass struggle to find a place. They were previously in the MAC and they had to leave and they're currently an independent just because there's not really a perfect point for them to play teams in their surrounding area. You're ultimately going to have to travel a bunch if you're in that Northeast area. Hopefully there's over the next, you know, five to 10 years, there's some level of uh, congregation between more schools in the Northeast, uh, maybe going as far down as Virginia. If we see schools like JMU moving up or Stony Brook, maybe there are some more teams and another conference can rise in that sense, but it really is kind of tough for these new England schools to be competitive when there's nobody really in the area for them to play. Right. Uh, the other piece of news, and we're going to have a little bit of fun with this is Sean, did you get to take a look at the LIU post uh, reveal of their new logo? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Okay. So if anyone is aware of the developments for long Island university um, is that they moved up from division two to Division One FCS and joining the NEC. They were previously the LIU Pioneers, and they were rocking yellow and green. However, they're making a transition and a rebranding effort as they move up to the Division One. They bumped the green. They added in a baby blue, a lighter, I would kind of call it like an ocean blue is the, the vibe that I get. And they're making a transition from the Pioneers to the Sharks, so the first, uh, probably the first Division One team that has had the mascot of the Sharks. Now, what do you think about the logo, Sean? It's fantastic. I can't get enough of it. I mean, besides the lettering L I U, which I I I just don't that those three letters don't look good to me just yeah. together like that. 
it's it's a really good color scheme. The shark is well done. It's all pr- really well done. I'm very impressed. The Pioneer stuff was gross. It was <laughs> their helmets were terrible. Their logo was terrible. The sharks, I'm all in on that. I mean that that's a really really good logo, and I'm very critical of logos. I, you know, mm-hmm. we we've been over it a lot. I'm critical and jerseys of, too. of jerseys, uniforms, everything. Critical of the whole package because I can be, and because it is fun to be critical of these things. This is a good job by LIU to to make this transition to a much better uniform. Well, we'll see the uniforms, but a much better logo and idea and color scheme. Yeah, the whole design really had Division Two written all over it, and I think that this transition is a perfect fit for them. Right. I do like the colors. It's very different. It, it seems that like a lot of schools will have similar colors to other schools and things tend to blend as far as uniform designs, but they're incredibly unique. It's original. It's completely different, especially the team name and in addition to that, the logo. So I'm really for the LIU post shark uh, rebrand. And hopefully that translates to, obviously it's not related to it, but their success at the division two level translates to success at the division one level in this upcoming season. Right. The closest thing I would compare it to is UCLA's color scheme. And it's still, it's, it's still not the same. It's still it's a not different the same. yellow. Right. Yeah. Maybe they do throw a little gold in there. We'll have to see how it works out, but right now it does look pretty cool. Now, Sean, it's time to discuss our top defensive lineman in FCS. This list originally had 13 guys on it. We decided to cut it down and we ended up with eight guys that really stood out to us. Uh, no person on this list is higher up than the other, but everyone that we have on here, we feel are dominant players and some of which have the potential to keep playing at the professional level. And I'm going to kick things off with a all American player from the Patriot league winner last season. And that's Nick Wheeler from Colgate. We spoke of him a while ago when we did the Patriot league preview. And I believe our first or second episode, if that's correct. But Nick Wheeler is six foot two, two hundred and fifty-five, a little bit more of a pass rushing defensive end. Last season, he had seventeen tackles for loss, nine sacks, and fifty—sorry, uh, fifty-one tackles. In watching him play, a couple of things that I noticed: he's really good bend coming off the edge. He's able to sink his hips and um, dip his shoulder and, and get past opposing offensive tackles. Very good feet, quick feet, and he's able to slide away from offensive tackles, which goes um, in unison with his ability to bend and, and dip and get past them. He loves to use his rip move, which works well with, with his play style and how he likes to rush. And I think the really big thing here and a big key for good defensive linemen and defensive ends is that he draws a lot of attention. There's a lot of double teams that come his way, and that's only going to free things up for his teammates. He might not be a stat sheet stuffer every single time he plays, but his impact can be felt no matter what he's doing as long as he's playing well and occupying two offensive linemen as one uh, or at once. The only one thing that I would say that he needs to improve on because he's such a good pass rusher is that he's not that great against the run. He gets washed out very easily Um, against army was probably one of his worst games. Not really good, uh, good play that I got to watch on him. And he was getting driven off the ball very easily, way too easily by those Army offensive linemen. So I'd like to see an improvement in his ability to play the run. 
Right, right, right. And the next guy that I'm covering does have a bit of the similar necessities of improvement there. It's John Daka, JMU. Six foot two, 219 pounds, 17 tackles for loss last year, 10 sacks, and 47 tackles. Joe, how fast is John Daka? Um, I don't know, Sean. How fast is he? He's too fast, if you were to look at my note. <laughs> is that a statistical uh, it's, he is analysis? too <laughs> fast. And, it, you know, if people don't know what too fast is, then just imagine something really fast and then double it. And then you'd say, oh, wow, that's too fast. A human should not be moving that quickly <laughs> after two steps. But somehow John Daka does. And not only that, his hand swipe, once he already is is at the same level as you, uh, position-wise, his hand swipe just gets him past you. And it's just not fair at all. His get-off is ridiculous. I, the All three measures of speed pass rushing that are the three, I guess, the best or most, most needed to be an effective speed rusher, he has. I mean, that's the first three notes. Get off, hand swipe, speed. That's what he has, and it's he has it in bunches. And the thing about Daka is you have to respect his speed around the edge or else he'll get it every time. And that just sets up the inside move because you have to get out there. You have to get deep, but that's going to also leave a bit of a gap if you're not uh, protecting in the slide towards him it's just not a fair play style for offensive <laughs> linemen on the island to have to deal with somebody this athletic and fast. Another athletic mover for a bigger guy up next is Sully Leish from Nichols State, six foot two on the heavier side, two seventy, and that weight he plays very well behind it. Uh, last year he had seventeen tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks, forty six tackles, and two forced fumbles. I love his effort. It's in tremendous when he plays the run. Um, with the, with his weight, he's just relentless. He's he's in great condition. He does not stop, and he's got an incredible motor when it comes to stopping running plays. He does not get moved easily off the ball. He's your typical bigger defensive tackle that occupies a guard and a center because he's so tough to move off the ball just one-on-one. Um, another guy that I'm speaking of, that's not really a stat sheet stuffer tremendously, but he, he, his impact is felt because he's able to free up other players on his defense. Right. One thing though, that I, that was very impressive from watching him, even though he, he racked up eight and a half sacks, which is great for a defensive tackle, but he has pretty good pass rush skills for a defensive tackle. You don't really see a complete level of skill on both ends of run defending and as a pass rusher at the FCS level. So it's just great getting to see him be able to do both at a high level. And my guy, Joe, if you, guy. If you haven't seen his tape, thank you, Mr. Mason Bennett for making one on oh, YouTube. He made one. You can find it on YouTube. Mason Bennett, two N's, two T's from North Dakota, six foot two, 257. The Canadian. The from Canadian Winnipeg. Eh? Dang, well, I shouldn't even have brought it up because I knew you were going to do your Canadian <laughs> Hey, I put accent. that in the damn notes for a reason. 
Get the hell out of here. 42 <laughs> tackles, 14 tackles for loss, nine sacks. Joe, that's how you do a Canadian accent. You say the oots. You don't go and do A's or whatever you do. It has to be more All subtle. Right, get to your, get right. to your point, guy. <laughs> the first play on his tape, he takes the inside on the tackle, beats him, and then they throw a running back up on him because the running back's just there at second protection. And the running back looks like he just got, I don't know. he. It looks like he just got hit with a grenade, the, the way that he flew back when Bennett Oof. hit him. So if your offensive lineman gets beat by Bennett, then the play is over. It's a sack. It's a pressure. It's a tackle for loss. Because nobody else on the field is going to be able to hang with him or block him. His acceleration off the blocks is very good. Is Coming off the blocks, he, it's it's almost like he's faster than when he's coming initially off the ball. And maybe that's because some defensive linemen play more passive and they read the offensive linemen, then they make their moves. But coming from being pushed backwards to getting five yards down the field in the blink of an eye is a really, really good trait. He finishes through the quarterback, even if he's not having a sack on that play, he's going to make sure that he hits that quarterback and gets in his head and lets the quarterback feel that he is in a football game. He's fast enough to be an edge threat, and he is strong enough to be a bull rush threat. He is really good. I know if I'm going to make a comparison, it's probably going to be like John Abraham. And maybe it's just because I saw huh. them both wearing 55, but they're it's just really reminiscent of one another. Not he, Neither of them are, are huge, but they're just they just make plays. That's what I would uh, compare him to. Up next, and JMU is heavily represented on this list, our second JMU player, despite only having eight guys this week, is Rondell Carter, six foot three, two 267. He was previously at Rutgers before he transferred. I believe last season might have been his first. I might be wrong on that. But one of the interesting things I, I found from his bio, and I thought this was incredible, is that he's a computer information systems major, and that really attests to his intelligence. You can see that he's a smart guy on the field without me even having a conversation with him or really knowing him. Um, that level of intelligence translates to his play on the field. Last season, he had 13 tackles for loss, 58 tackles, and seven and a half sacks. Good run defender for a defensive end. I watched him read plays very, very well. Um, in any situation that he was unblocked, he was able to crash down on the uh, down the line of scrimmage and make those plays in the backfield if you left him one block. And he's just such a fast player. He's so athletic. He can find the ball very, very quickly. And just watching him on run plays really made me question, if you're an offensive coordinator, why the hell would you leave him unblocked? I know certain offensive plays, you're going to end up scheming that, that you leave him unblocked. But he's so smart. He's so quick that he can in a split second, figure out what's going on and then track down wherever the ball's going. Never leave him to make a decision because he's going to make that decision for you and you're going to regret it. Um, another thing is that he is not very easy to move. He's not super heavy. He plays like he's 300 pounds as far as holding his ground on running plays and not allowing himself to get driven back. I didn't obviously watch all of his plays from 2018, but every single run play I saw of him, the most he got driven back was maybe a half a yard to a yard. Very good at holding his ground. Great length, which is something that you love to see from a defensive end. And in addition to that, very, very quick hands. 
one of his better moves that I saw in his pass rush arsenal was his um, ability to push pull very well. He's got these very heavy, aggressive hands. He'll lock you out. He'll punch you way quicker than you can punch him back. And before you can really uh, regather yourself, he's he's ripping you down. He's pushing you out of the way, and he's making a play on wherever the ball is. Um, in addition to that, which is crazy for a 270-pounder, he can cover. There were plays of him playing a little bit outside linebacker from uh, two seasons ago, and there were instances where they asked him with his hand in the dirt to drop back and cover the flat if needed. The final thing that I really loved about watching him is just he has so much effort. Even if the play is completely away from him, he will give you 110%, and he'll go nuts just to get himself in position to make at least part of the play. Last thing, though, uh, as far as him as a player um, as far as his physique, it's very interesting to see him play because he does not look like he's 270 pounds. He looks much leaner than that. And that's exciting if you're observing him from a talent evaluation standpoint, because that means you can add a lot more weight to his frame and make him a lot bigger, make him a lot heavier, which is all the more scarier for a guy that's already strong. Joe, can I tell you somebody who looks like they are 270 pounds? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Nasir Player, defensive lineman from... East ETSU, six foot five, two sixty-five. Last year he racked up forty-three tackles, eleven tackles for loss, and six sacks. First thing I noticed when I was watching their game versus the University of Tennessee, as he was putting linemen from SEC linemen on their back. Powerful extension with the arms on initial contact. He will hit you and then he will it'll be like he hits you again. That's how um, that's how he works with the with the extension. He's fast and strong, always working to be in the best position on the offensive line or defensive line. Golly, and he also plays all over the line. He could play both defensive ends. I think he could take snaps on the inside if need be. I mean, two seventy is a lot of weight, and if you can get out extended like that, there's not a guard that's going to be able to move him if he gets in the right position. He's a really good all-around defensive lineman. He is a stud. I can see why people are projecting him to go on to the next level because he just has that frame and build. He's just a prototypical dominant defensive lineman. One thing I think he could uh, work on is keeping his feet underneath him at six foot five. And so with, you're saying he's leaning a little bit too much? Well, uh, when you're six. The, Defensive linemen make extreme physical moves where they have to bend a lot and they bend around the corner, bend inside. So it's more of balance and making sure that his feet are fully underneath him before he makes an uh, a big cut like that or trying to lean around the edge. Okay. Um, just sometimes he'll he'll slip down, he'll slip, and then it'll look like the offensive lineman got a big old pancake, but he didn't. He just slipped because he's six foot five, and that's a lot of height to, to try to get <laughs> down underneath the offensive lineman's hips. There's really been a ton of whispers and it's the season hasn't even started yet. It's so early. There's been all these whispers about him being arguably the most pro ready guy at the FCS level. Um, I can see Kalen Saunders hype written all over him as far as increasing his draft stock over the year in the draft process. Hey, maybe he can do some backflips too. Oh, you beat me to it. Then... I was going <laughs> to I was about to jump in. I was waiting for the right time. <laughs> oh, sorry. 
we're yeah. not in person so like I, I usually whenever we're in person if i if i see you making that like your eyes will light up and i'll just kind of throw you the lob but you know i don't i, I can't see your stupid face <laughs> um another six foot five defensive end Derek tezuka from north dakota state uh six foot five 243 last season he had 48 tackles 12 tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks despite not being that heavy and being a little bit more on the leaner side he really is the true definition of a power rusher at defensive end. Very, very powerful rip move. That thing comes up with full force. His arm, his forearm just rips through any attempt to latch on and get that inside uh, leverage on a defensive end by offensive tackles. Uh, there were some plays where I saw where tight ends tried to block him. And all I have to say to any offensive coordinator who's trying to scheme around Tezuka is do not waste your time with a running back or a tight end trying to block him because he's just going to make you look silly. Um, you need one of your best blockers on him at any time. His bull rush is really scary. There were plays where I saw him just completely stab at def our offensive tackles on opposing teams and push their chest back, like pop them back. Their head came back and they'd had no time to really react to what was going on. And by the time that they were trying to, to recuperate and get back where they were supposed to be, he was already past them and uh, slipping his way through. Very quick to disengage and recollect himself while opposing tackles are making an effort to get back their footing. Um, the final thing, and I think it's very tremendous, is that he's not all bull rush. He's very, very good at bending as well. He's not just a one-trick pony. He can do a number of different things in his arsenal, and hopefully he can add a few more things in there as well. Now, we have one last guy, Sean, and why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Well, Mr. Adam Rodriguez from Weber State. He is six foot two, 240 pounds. Last year, he had 61 tackles, 15 tackles for loss, and seven sacks. He is explosive. Normally, when you're watching tape, and you're putting in your notes, you talk about a little, you, you don't put in just the adjective first, you put in a little, a little more detail as the first note, but every one of the notes all just led back to the word explosive. So that's why I'm leading it off with this. He gets, the way he gets off of blocks is explosive. The way he tackles is explosive. Everything he does is just, it just exudes power in a short burst of time. Uh, he throws offensive linemen, forklifts them, lifts them. I mean, it's just, he puts them on their neck, which is the worst feeling on the world. And he does it regularly in games against starters. He also knows how to transfer a quick move into a power move and vice versa, meaning he can read the offensive linemen really well and where they're going to be based on where he is currently. That's a really, really, you could tell he's been playing defensive line for a while and you could tell he really cares about his craft and isn't just freaky athletic but he's been dedicated to learning how to play defensive line better he's very disciplined he knows the technique adam rodriguez is a stud on to our last segment as always here on the fcs football podcast is our social media interactions and as we called for questions we got one today from our wonderful friend rusty on twitter and he gave us uh, two fun anecdotes. We're not going to touch upon the other one just so we don't open any old wounds for Sean. But oh the God. question that, that Rusty had is who he thinks is the most overrated team 
in the FCS. So it's not, um, it's not the nicest question, but I, I do think that it's worth discussing who we think is probably considered a little bit more highly than they should be. Yeah, Joe, I'll let and, you start. Um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and start. And um, if, if I were really to pinpoint someone that is considered to be better than they actually are, I would probably say the Citadel. And I think that they're a good f- uh, football program. I think they're a good uh, program in the Southern Conference. But for them to be ranked as a top 25 team, obviously only 25th, after going five and six last year, I think that's a little bit much. They obviously have talent. They have a ton of good players, but it's very, it just seems that, the, that a, a lot of people are getting ahead of themselves. Let's wait until we actually see what they can do before we can assume that a five and six team will be ranked as a top 25 team. Is it my turn? Yes, it is your turn. Okay. I am, um, uh... I don't like doing this. I don't like. I don't like that overrated, <laughs> especially because we're still playing. Um, I think Delaware is overrated in the oh. FCS. Wow. Yeah. Why do you say that? Well, I'm not. You really want to? <laughs> <laughs> I just think that they are. I mean, it's just I don't. I get it. They they've they're a very good program. They have you know the intangibles and the bones of a good program. They got a good coach. They got all this getting a new stadium, all that. They get players that uh, have gone to the NFL. They're constantly being scouted. I just think that they are uh, overrated. So you, you, you know, you built them up a couple weeks ago. I think it was a month ago when you, when you thought that they could upset Pitt and and all those Delaware players were, were so juiced up when you said that and they were reacting to it on Twitter. And now you're just breaking them down. I'm not, I don't know. I think they could be Pitt. I just also think that they're overrated. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll have to see if any of them will listen. I hate you. I hate you, Joe. Hey, Rusty. I hate Rusty, too. I, I'm I'm going to be laughing if any Delaware players are, are in your mentions because you said that they're overrated. Overrated? Shut up, fat boy. This is the- uh, so the second question was that you say that you have a question. What's your question? Well... My question, I, I was going to ask it before Rusty had sent his questions over, and okay. then I was going to retract it. But I think now it's appropriate for me to ask it again. Hey, Joe, right, ask it. why do our listeners hate us? <laughs> why do you say that? We don't get enough questions, and then we get uh, questions that are going to put us in, <laughs> in the doghouse. In the dog, exactly. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, you know. Joe, what are your thoughts? Why do why do our listeners hate us? I, I don't I don't think anyone hates us. I think we have great interaction for just doing this for two months. Uh, we hear from a lot of different people. Um, I, I think it's pretty good interaction. I just I think that not everyone is as outgoing on social media as we'd hope. If that makes any sense, like, you know, yeah, we, you know, we obviously have people that love to send us comments and questions, but, you know, not everyone that listens is going to uh, feel the need to reach out to us just because they um, they're more comfortable with just listening and they just like listening and hear, hearing what we have to say and then listening to us answer uh, questions and give dumb, dumb responses to them. I tell you what, even though I still believe our listeners don't like us that much, I would like to say their Twitters are so much better than uh, – than 
I'd say 90% of my feed right now because <laughs> oh yeah mr i have 600 followers that are all part of the ifb crap. 655 <laughs> no i never tweeted ifb they follow me i follow them back and then people see that and then it goes on a string and they're all absolutely garbage i mean they're awful <laughs> awful I awful know. i am just so there's a reason there's a reason why they have to do those i follow back things and those follow train things is because no one else is going to go out of their way to follow them sean <laughs> it's the worst they just tweet garbage it's one of the worst decisions i've ever uh, made and i'm gonna yeah i think i plan on unfollowing everybody and then i'm gonna be a pariah within the ifb <laughs> twitter uh twitter verse oh, god. god i mean they're just you know what they call themselves what elites <laughs> they call themselves oh, elites oh, sean 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 they tweet they they take they treat these twitter accounts as if it's real life and as if they know each other and it's just the grossest yeah most vile part of humanity and now I'm getting fired up, which is just you what just Rusty you, wanted. <laughs> I was going to say, R R Rusty wanted you to start another uh, feud, but it looks like you're doing it with a different God. demographic of, I think you should start adding them and see see how much uh, of a, uh, uproar you can cause on on Twitter. Did you not see me getting into into, <laughs> into Twitter fights at whatever 2 a.m. Uh, two nights ago because of the, the Baker Mayfield nonsense that he was on the top of the uh, yeah, I didn't realize that was worth random people. Yes, random people. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, I'm going to try and cut you off so you don't get too steamed up and worked up over here. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, that is going to be it for the FCS Football <laughs> Podcast here on the Believe the Podcast Network. Podcast. Okay. Here on the Believe Podcast Network. <laughs> Uh, a little bit of Jersey in me snuck out there. Oh, my God. I try to repress it as much as possible. Is that Sometimes how they just say tweets podcast? Out. Uh, no, but like, you know how like sometimes, you know, you talk to people from Jersey that are very uh, much from Jersey, you know, like Whipper was like that. Yeah. Joe Kenny's like that. Yeah. Um, one of the new, uh, or they say WADA, like like that kind of, just an overemphasis on some of the, the vowels. But that is going to be it for us. Uh, make sure you check out Believe Podcast, which we are part of their network, obviously. Um, go to Believe dot com spelled b-l-e-a-v and also check them out on social media instagram and twitter at b-l-e-a-v podcasts or is it podcast network no it's it, oh it's uh it's believe podcasts my fault i can't believe i just blanked on that make sure you also follow sean on twitter for updates and also interaction with us at joe de leon spelled d-e-l-e-o-n-e -E -E. and sean's handle is at sean anderson 65 if you don't know how to spell sean or anderson well might want to go back to school on that one. Um, in addition to that, you can find us wherever you listen to a podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and also on the Believe website. You name it, wherever you can find it, we are there. If you like listening to us, please, we ask of you to drop a review. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. Uh, Rusty's the only one to give us some feedback because he's a wonderful listener. Um, but we would appreciate some more uh feedback from our, our reoccurring listeners uh, also and we know there's there's plenty yeah, of you out also, there also tyler cheek 
I'm sorry I didn't get to interview your brother. I should have done that. It, 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 oh, is he, was he there? Davis Cheek was there. I, I, I dropped oh. the ball. Sorry, I dropped the ball. I know I did. I can't believe it. You should have asked, asked only Tyler-related questions. I know. Questions. I can't. Like, I saw him. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah. I know your little brother. He's a big fan of the show. And he would have been like, oh, no, yeah. No, it's his older brother. Or, or older, older brother. Pardon me. Wait, Tyler's the older brother? Yeah. No, Tyler is the younger brother. We've been over, I'm, we've been over this. I don't. Tyler, prove us wrong. Uh, God. <laughs> Tyler, keep me accountable. Make sure I interview your brother. Yeah, I, I'm just like, yeah, I, this could be really good content because Tyler's one of the best listeners. He interacts, all that, and I just sit there and I just don't do anything. I just completely uh, forgot. You got, you got, you got scared. I, blanked. I didn't get scared. Okay. <laughs> all right, that's gonna be it for us. Thank you for tuning in and have a wonderful rest of your day, folks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.